Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, hey, welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Scott Pianowski, your host, and it is Sunday, August 23rd, and be really simple here come right to the point the goal with these podcasts is to try to make you smarter and with that i thought it was time to give a call out to renee miller longtime fantasy player you know her work at the athletic she is an associate professor of neuroscience at the university of rochester uh, she's written about cognitive bias and fantasy sports she's going to help you not uh, you know have your mind screw up your fantasy team this year she's going to make us get out of our own way or see the mistakes we're making in our heads and I'm hoping this will make me a better poker player and a better golfer, too. So I'm just going to crib off Renee for 45 minutes. Hello, Renee Miller. Hello, Scott. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. My pleasure. I've, uh, this is a conversation I've been looking forward to. Um, I've been following your work for a while. I've been friends for a while. But first time to, to actually get into it. So, look, as I said, I, I love brain games. I love poker. I love golf, which is a total mind warp. I, I'm obviously a fantasy sports guy. You wrote a book called Cognitive Bias in Fantasy Sports. Is your brain sabotaging your team? It's a, it's a really juicy title. I'm, I'm just going to set you free and, and just give us an idea what that's all about. Yeah, what what that's all about is as a fantasy player, I was a fantasy player before I was a professor of neuroscience. Uh, so when I was uh, teaching one of my first classes, the topic of cognitive bias came up and it just really sort of blew my mind that... Um, our brains have all these shortcuts designed to make things easy as far as making choices or facing tough decisions. And a lot of what we do as we kind of navigate through life is subconscious, and it's not necessarily always the best. So cognitive biases pop up in every field. But when I was teaching this class, it was December, and I was in the fantasy playoffs, and it really hit home how much these sort of shortcuts that our brains take could be affecting how I was setting my lineups or deciding whom to add or whom to drop in my fantasy leagues. And so I spent the next (laughs) sort of the the break, the college break between fall and spring semester, really kind of digging into this topic. And the more I learned, the more I realized how applicable it was to fantasy sports. And if I were, you know, somebody who's a neuroscience professor and was making all these mistakes or, you know, kind of letting my brain run away down some of the wrong paths, and probably everyone else was too, right? Because it was my job to know about this stuff. So that's kind of how I got started in it. Broadly, a cognitive bias is anything that leads you to make a decision that isn't necessarily based on the soundest reasoning or facts. Um, so it, it prop, 
you know, comes up in a lot of different areas. I think I've done a pretty good job um, getting these ideas out there. And I see a lot of people now talking about confirmation bias and recency bias. And these are, I mean, those are some of the ones that crop up the most. In daily fantasy sports, we're really, um, what is the word? The one that preys on us a lot is outcome bias, where we, um, you know, judge the uh, quality of a decision based on the outcome, not necessarily based on the process or facts that went into making it. These are, these are some of my favorite biases. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I, outcome, outcome, I mean, confirmation bias, I think is so common in fantasy where we go into the summer and if I decide I'm a Kenyon Drake fan, my mind wants to accumulate all the good stuff about Kenyon Drake. And I want to eliminate or ignore all the negative stuff that may, they may say about Kenyon Drake because I've already invested myself. My, my heart and my mind is already invested there. 100%. Um, and, and it's not like you're trying to. You're not thinking through that. Your mind just does it for you. Your brain just does it for you. It just downplays the information that disagrees with, you know, with that Kenyon Drake is my man philosophy. And, you know, really, you could even start to think of things like, oh, yeah, the, you know, the guy that wrote that article, I never really thought much of his work anyway, that, that said Kenyon Drake was going <laughs> to not be a top 10 running back this year or whatever. So one question that comes up a lot is why do we even have cognitive biases? Um, and the fact is that that we do, and that must mean that they serve some greater purpose, right? They they otherwise would have been lost, you know, in, in the chimpanzee. We wouldn't have kept them um, through all this human brain evolution. So the main reason that we have cognitive biases is to protect our identity, really, our sense of self, our confidence, our ego, whatever you want to call that sort of inner guidance. We protect it at all costs. And confirmation bias is a great way um, to do that. If you believe something and somebody challenge you, challenges you, your brain's going to leap to your defense and tell you about all the ways how that other opinion is not correct. So we become aware of something like confirmation. But how do, how do I guard against that? How do I, there's this um, you know, pitfall in front of me. I'm afraid I'm going to fall into this hall, hole. How do I guard against that? Yeah. So it's really difficult. And, and knowing is um, 80% of the battle in this case, just being aware that you're prone to that and, and that it's not your fault. Um, it's built in, it's hardwired, and it takes a lot of practice. Um, and I've heard you know, a lot of poker players, especially, talk about the struggle to overcome these kind of impulsive, instinctual decisions or decision making processes that our brain wants to default to. And how hard it is to actively resist that and take a harder, logical, less emotional path to the ultimate, what is the best decision. But just knowing, just knowing that your, your first instinct uh, is probably that impulsive emotional one rather than the logical reasoning one helps. You know, and, and other you know, smarter people than I Kahneman, uh, thinking fast and slow is a good example, have written about the actual anatomy of the brain that enables some of these fast emotional decisions versus the more well-reasoned logical ones. Uh, and the more well-reasoned logical paths are the paths that are less traveled. They're slower, they're not used as much, and unfortunately, um, so, so it takes us 
extra effort, sort of extra brain power to get to the place where we're using those higher reasoning. Now, you hit one, I think, really key point that even just a simpleton like me could come up with is that I know the emotional side and the rational side of my brains are they're enemies. They, they don't get along. And if I want to make the soundest decision in anything, you know, buying a car, adopting a pet, buying a new house, whatever it is, buying a new pair of shoes, I, I can't be emotional about those decisions. I need to be, you know, especially any big decision. It's one thing if I decide if I want to buy a candy bar at the checkout line, that's, that's, you know, it's not, my life isn't really going to change from that. But in the important decisions in life, you know, you shouldn't get married on a whim in Las Vegas. Probably a bad idea, you know? Maybe meet the girl for a week, you know, and uh, meet her family or something, or you know her last name. You know, those are probably good ideas. So I definitely understand the idea of divorcing the emotional and the rational, the, the two different sides. You want to make decisions when you're calm, when you're in a good mood. Don't don't act angry. Don't, don't drop a player angry, you know, stuff like that. But you, you talk about, you, you know, it's interesting. I, I've done a lot of research with poker. And I know one theory that Daniel Negreanu has is that if you're in a poker hand and you have an overwhelming thought that, okay, I should really call here. My opponent is bluffing. It's just my first instinct. He, he thinks, now this, maybe this is only applicable for Daniel because he's played poker for 25, 30 years or something. But he's like, you know, the distilled experience. Sometimes I think that first decision, that first instinct might be right. I know a lot of people in fantasy, it's only natural to second guess yourself. You're in the finals. You have two receivers of, of relatively equal strength. You're going to play player A, and at the last second, you're like, yeah, maybe I should play player B. You know, the weather is kind of iffy in one of those games, or the quarterback's elbow's hurting, or you start accumulating all this information. And at this point, now you're just looking for somebody else to make the decision. You ask a friend, you, you, you go see what the guys at Yahoo think or whatever. So what's there to be said? And, and look, I'll throw some recency bias in this. I, I'm playing with my Yahoo colleagues in in DFS every day of the season, fantasy baseball. And I'm doing great. And for whatever, this is total recency bias. This is all three weeks. And I've just been setting my lineups at the last minute and not grinding them and not going. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the basic stuff. I'm avoiding bad platoon setups. I'm, I'm trying to go where the runs are, you know, stuff like that. But I'm just like cutting. I'm measuring a couple of times and I'm cutting once. I'm not changing my mind at all. And I've run really well. That, that could just be a three-week hot streak. I don't know. Or, or, or maybe there's just something to be said for me for just I did, once I start tinkering too much, you know, if I, if I get up to a golf ball and want to hit it and I have too many swing thoughts in my head, that, you know, next thing you know, I'm going to hit it in the woods. So I, I guess I'm trying to figure out what my best thought process is and, and what you think about all that. Yeah, it, it brings to mind two things for me. One is that, again, we have these biases for a reason and that whole trust your first instinct, trust your gut. Um, we have all these idioms that reflect our, you know, the technical cognitive biases they are right a lot. Recency is right a lot. It does pay attention. It, it does pay to pay attention to what just happened because things that happened once in the recent history are probably more likely to happen again in the future. So, the, I mean, the reason that these biases are there and they have these names is because there's some value. So don't totally disregard what happened, but but the guy that hit three home runs. Yesterday is probably not going to hit three home runs today, and his price probably went up $1,000, right? So you have to sort of build that in. And as far as the second guessing, there's another bias that is one of my biggest nemesis called information bias. And it's where the more information you have, the more confident you are in your decision, but your decision is not necessarily more accurate. 
So we tend to think, we tend to go, oh, my brain is trying to shortcut me and take these fast, emotional, impulsive roots. Well, I'm going to sit back and collect 95 pieces of data to support the decision that I'm going to make. Um, and then we feel like that decision can't, can't fail, can't be beat. Um, but really, there's probably only, whether it's baseball or football, there's really probably only three or four pieces of information that are really driving, you know, the yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, so having those extra 91 data points aren't really helping you make a better decision. They're just increasing your confidence. So you get this sort of false sense of confidence. Um, and I think there's a lot of that that goes into the last minute tinkering. Uh, we're all subject to it. I mean, I don't know a single person who who doesn't second guess in fantasy. And sometimes it's it's good and sometimes it's not. Um, I think I hear more often about the times when the second guessing shot you in the foot. Mm-hmm. But that tends to be because we like to complain a lot. <laughs> we don't, I, I think it also we don't go bragging about how our second guessing won us the week. A, a bunch of people who are in competitive things. I think every college basketball coach or college football coach has said this, that the joy of winning often does not equal the pain of losing. And Bob, Bobby Knight or Jared Tarkanian would say, I don't remember any of the wins. You know, I remember the time that we had a 11 point lead with with 90 seconds left and we blew it, you know, or, you know, we just need to make a free throw and we couldn't make one. We couldn't inbound the ball. And we, you know, we lost. You know, those are the those are the things that stick with you. I, I was listening to a Mike Tirico interview. You know, he's still grinding over the 1987 Syracuse loss to Indiana in the, in the NCAA basketball final, which, uh, you know, Syracuse had the lead until about 30 seconds left in that game. I mean, this stuff kind of sticks with us. You know, one reason why I think it's so great to understand recency bias and how we can benefit from this is that the great thing about I always see in fantasy you don't even have to be right so much you just have to be right more often than the person next to you and if you understand you walk into your draft and you understand the recency bias at play or if you're say drafting in in a Baltimore area and you know everybody's going to go crazy for the Ravens you can play off that bias a lot of times if you just know what your opponents are doing and you know what they're tripping up what they're likely to trip on then you can use that to your advantage for sure. And that's, you know, that's why it's maybe less so in baseball, but on a random football weekend, I mean, there's going to be players who have no business scoring two or three touchdowns, but yet they do. And people go crazy for that and add them with, you know, three quarters of their fab budget, use their first waiver priority to add these guys who have really no, there's no logical reason why they should ever do that again. And so you have to really go back to looking at understanding where fantasy performances come from, thinking more about what are the best correlates of fantasy performance before you can decide whether, you know, this is a repeatable performance. Was it an injury? Was it a blown coverage? Was it, you know, game was totally out of hand and some, you know, somebody got to get a look at a fourth string receiver. I think understanding where, which are the most important pieces of information can also help overcome the biases. There's an interesting concept called, um, and I, I think I'm using this correctly, called paradox, paradox of choice, which is the concept that some people would rather not have choice because then they can't get nervous about making the wrong choice. I, I'm running into this right now. I'm thinking about buying a new three wood and there's so many different lofts and so many different price points. And you know, it's, it's really difficult for me to figure out what really fits my budget, what fits my game. Should I even be buying this at all? And then you know, God knows I could buy the thing and hit it poorly two or three times and immediately want to throw it in the, in the pond. So 
you know, I, sometimes I think there's too many choices or, you, you know, there's something to be said for when I go to restaurants and I know what I want versus I go to a new restaurant. They have seven different things that look interesting. It can be hard to make a decision. As crazy as this sounds, I've heard people say, oh, I hate it when my fantasy team has depth because I don't want to have to make choices. I, I hate, you know, I'll, I'll trade. That's one thing if you can trade away your depth and upgrade your starters. That could possibly be the right move to go. But some people really hate it when they have a lot of options. So what do you tell somebody who's overwhelmed by too many choices? I, I don't know about you, but it, I um, occasionally answer some mailbag questions uh, at The Athletic. And the ones that kill me are the ones like, should I start Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson this week? And I want to scream, like, why do you have both of those? <laughs> right. Why It's week 11. Why do you still have both of those guys on your team? You can't make that decision. I can't make that decision for you. <laughs> so I... I um, I do sometimes lean to that side of don't don't force yourself into these impossible choices, you know, make it hard on someone else. But of course, we want to have choices. And sometimes we can use one of those three or four pieces of information to help make the tough choice match up like defensive prowess in the opponent, that kind of thing. Weather is usually a bad information choice, you know, unless it's the most severe kind of weather, but it's one that we're susceptible to. It's one of the the greatest Sunday morning tinkering factors, I think, is, oh, there might be rain. Oh, there might be wind. Uh, and usually it's minor. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I feel like I say this every year. I think if you were just to, to constantly ignore the weather, you'd be so far ahead of it. But the problem is this is where outcome bias comes in. The one time you ignore it, and then it turns out it was a hurricane or it was a hailstorm and they couldn't throw the ball or whatever happened. Then you think, oh, OK, why didn't I see that coming? And then you overapply it going forward where it's so many times you forget all the times it's nothing. Or also it could help you. You could have Tyreek Hill. They could be playing in the snow in Denver. The defensive back falls down and Tyreek Hill is an 80-yard touchdown. So, I mean, it isn't guaranteed to necessarily hurt you either. Usually if the wind isn't that bad, they can usually weather the storm. No, no pun intended. Choices are part of the game. I mean, you have to kind of embrace them and be glad that you have the depth to make the choice. We try. We try. The, the people that you ask, <laughs> uh, your tough questions, we're facing our own tough questions and trying to use the best information possible. Give me just a, a window into when do you set your line? Are you a Friday lineup person, a Saturday lineup person, a Sunday morning setter? What do you just give us a window into how you make your decisions on a Sunday or for an NFL week? I, I'm I'm all over the place. Some weeks I'm really organized and I get it done early and try to let it sit. And then I come back Saturday or Sunday morning and see if I'm still, you know, given any practice reports or changes that might have happened during the week see if I still feel okay or if I want to make any tweaks. Other times I'm scrambling at, you know, 1230 Sunday afternoon and things have just gotten away from me. I try to do the same with my DFS lineups. I try to set them early and kind of leave them, let it, let it soak in. I tend to do the bulk of my research for my writing on Tuesdays. So I, I tend to feel like I make the most logical decisions right then on that Tuesday. If I, <laughs> this is going to sound um, really stupid, but if I do all this research on Tuesday and I write my articles, I kind of get sick of myself and my mm -hmm. ideas as the week goes on and the players that I've been talking about. And now I'm bored with, 
with those guys and those lines of reasoning. And so I'm more likely to go contrarian to myself. <laughs> it's, it's, no, I can understand that. It's really you, you dumb, know. but I catch myself doing it all the time. Like, God, I've just talked about Delvin Cook so much. Like, how boring would it be to actually use him in my FanDuel lineup? <laughs> I also wonder, I, I, I've always wondered if this is a thing. Maybe there's a term in, in the egghead community. Maybe there isn't. But let's say Yahoo told me that they were going to send me. They, they said, then, let's just pretend they're going to play college football this year. It sounds like they probably won't. But let's say Yahoo said, okay, Scott, we're giving you a new job. I want you to study every tight end in college football, watch all of their games, all of their tape, go to the combine, and then tell us like who the best 10 tight end prospects were. And let's just pretend it was the worst year for tight ends. Like, uh, you know, a, a couple of guys quit. A couple of guys went to basketball. A, a really good prospect towards ACL. It, I've spent five months of my life doing this, and I want to come up with, okay, these are the guys I'm excited about. I don't want to say, oh, this is a crummy class. Don't draft any of these guys. Yeah, I wonder if we spend a lot of time with the subject, if there's a human desire to, to want to put importance on the time that we spent and that there's some meaning there, not, oh, well, I did all this research and there's nothing that came from it that I can use that's actionable. Yeah, that's kind of the opposite um, take on on what I was saying about getting sick of my stuff, the more time I spend on it, the more I want to deviate from it, not invest in it, which is, I think, the ridiculous viewpoint. So I think that's really personality-based. Um, I'm not a, a collector. I'm not a person who saves things. I'm like very clutter-free, no collections. So I like to enjoy my things and then move on and get new things. And enjoy those things and move on and get new things. So I think I'm also a little bit like that in the fantasy space with the with the players that, you know, I, I can come up with all these logical reasons, but then I'm kind of sick of them and I'm ready to move on and try something new. Um, so that's called novelty bias. That's one that I know I'm also um, really susceptible to. But then there are people who really invest much more strongly in the things they've either spent time or money on and have a much harder time getting away from. So um, over overvaluing or undervaluing your investments either way can can be a little bit of a mind trap. Would uh, novelty bias, would that make you interested in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire maybe in the first round this year? I think first round is a little high. I'm a little scared for, for that. But yeah, that's the that's the kind of thing. Um, especially if you were some like somebody that drafted David Johnson last year and really didn't get what you were hoping for out of your fourth overall pick. Or you know, we could go on with examples, but trying something new, something that hasn't let you down in the past, that's novelty bias in a nutshell. I'll admit Johnson's a guy. I, I think a lot of people, and I'm struggling th- with this myself. The last time I saw him playing football. He looked like he was tiptoeing through broken glass. I mean, he obviously wasn't healthy. And, you know, who can perform in the NFL if they're not close to 100 percent? It's such a demanding game and the talent level is so high. But now he's a new team, um, a a team that probably is going to use him a lot. Um, Bill O'Brien doesn't always have the greatest reputation in the fantasy community. If somebody were to say, oh, David Johnson, you know, last couple of years, he let me down. I'm, I'm afraid to draft him. What would you say to that person? I would say I understand I mean, it really depends where you are in the draft. Are you afraid to draft him in the first round? Yeah, but there's a reasonable place to draft David Johnson, I think. No, I think so. You know, too. there's some also, encouraging news about the offensive line. 
Um, I think it also helps know, that the Texans, I mean, they, they traded for him. They made a very controversial trade. He was in the Hopkins trade. So maybe they have an incentive to look good or to make to put Johnson in the best possible position to succeed. I, I feel like if nothing else, they're going to run him out there and see if there's anything there. He's going to get opportunity, but we'll see what he does with that. Uh, you wrote a recent piece at The Athletic about getting prepared for an online draft and, and just how we can be smarter about that. Uh, just hit on a couple of the points that you wrote in that column. Sure. So um, I've been doing online drafts for a long time. I think I introduced that article by saying, if this is your first online draft, I'm jealous. But a lot of us are forced into altering our our plans this fall. We're not traveling. uh, We're not getting together in large groups. So for a lot of people, this will be a first online draft, maybe in a longstanding league that they've always done in person. And that can be intimidating. So a couple of tips, obviously, figure out what site you're going to use and get on there and do a bunch of mock drafts, practice figure out the settings, figure out how to use the queue. Um, If you can change the rankings yourself, make your own sort of order of which the the players appear. If you can remove players from the queue, you have a list of do not draft guys that you don't want any part of. Get rid of them so you don't panic auto draft them or something. But just get used to the, um, the timer, the pace, and the settings and how to navigate. Um, I also think it's a great idea now that everybody's been using Zoom and Google Meet and Skype for work and and other birthday parties and stuff. Have a Zoom meeting with your league before your draft. You know, get together for an hour, catch up, talk, see how prepared everyone is, talk a little football. You can start to get into some of those, um, you know, things you were talking about, how, you know, how high is the, the Houston friend on David Johnson and so, you know, catch up, make it still a social thing. You don't have to lose that entirely. And you can still get get your ribbing in, get your um, you know, friendly banter, but also maybe get some useful information from your friends before the draft. In Zoom and Skype, these are all face-to-face. So um, I think that's, those are, those are my two best ideas. There's a couple other things in there. Yeah, definitely read the article on The Athletic. We're talking to Renee Miller today trying to be smarter about how we make our fantasy decisions. You made a great point, by the way, about understanding the the site that you're drafting on in that applet. I mean, look, I work for Yahoo. I think Yahoo has a great game. I have nothing to do with the design of it, but I, I know our engineers do a great job, and I will try to steer leagues onto Yahoo, but I know there's a lot of other good sites out there. And sometimes I'll be drafting on a site I'm not familiar with, and, and it's like, who who hit my cheese? I don't know where stuff is. And um, sometimes that can really throw me and I'll, and I'll say to myself, well, why didn't I, you know, do a test run with this? Why did I come into this draft room three minutes before it started? And now I can't even figure out what the wide receiver list is, you know, it's, and, and then I, I start panicking, right? You know, I, I don't, I'm not in my comfort zone. And, and then I, I end up, you know, I, I end up drafting the fifth receiver on my board when the second one was available because I just haven't gotten accustomed yet to what's going on. So I think that's a great idea. And when you talk about just connecting with your league mates, and fantasy sports are a great social outlet. They're a great social network. It's how I hang out with my hometown friends I grew up with. We, we None of us live near each other anymore, pretty much college friends. Um, I, I've made a lot of friends in the fantasy space. It's just a great way to connect, especially this year where we can't do the things in person that we usually do. Um, you know, we, we can't get on a plane. You know, I just don't, we all know what's going on in 2020. I don't need to rehash that. So this is just a great way to keep up with people and, um, you know, enjoy fantasy that way because it is a social network. Um, so I think a lot of good, a lot of good ideas there. 
let's talk about let's let's change gears a little bit. We were talking a little bit in email about ADPs and quarterbacks and receivers, and, and sometimes we can see a team where I remember a few years ago Eli Manning had the situation where everybody liked Eli Manning's pieces. And Eli Manning was quarterback 25. And the idea was like, well, wait a minute. If Beckham's going to be the fourth best receiver and, and Ingram's going to be the number seven tight end, and if we like Barkley, how, how can we not like Eli Manning? It, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, the math doesn't work out. Are there any teams this year that seem to fit that profile for you? And, and how are you navigating it? Yeah. And last year, I think it was the Bucks, um, for sure. Uh, one of my colleagues at, at The Athletic actually had – Mike Evans' number one overall pick in the draft, but everyone was down on, on Jameis Winston. I, mi- I miss Jameis Winston. I, the idea that he's not a starter now makes me sad. <laughs> I want more Jameis Winston in my life. It's a roller coaster. <laughs> he's a roller coaster. Well, he keeps every he keeps his team in the game, and he keeps the other team in the game, which is you know so yeah. first team to thirty seven wins. Fine with me. Good for fantasy. This year, the team that stands out to me is the Rams. The biggest mis- mismatch in terms of the weapons versus the quarterback is is Goff, who's being drafted late, late teens, 19-ish, 17-ish, um, depending where you look. And he supported two top 20 receivers last year and a top 10 tight end. And we have those guys ranked the same. Um, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Tyler Higbee are all ranked near the top of their position and dra- being drafted accordingly. You said, you said the logic. How are they all going to finish at their... ADP, you know, at, at their ADP value if Goff doesn't. He, Goff was also drafted really late last year. He finished his QB 13. Uh, he's one, I think, um, Wentz is another one. He's a little more borderline because he's actually going kind of appropriately higher this year than he than he did last year um, with maybe some improved receiving options if uh, Jalen Ragor lives up to the hype and Miles Sanders. Well, you're thinking of some other people. I want to say about Goff, it was 15 minutes ago that everybody thought Sean McVay had, you know, invented football and invented offensive football. And and it's we move on so quickly sometimes. He's still a really smart guy. And I think it's fascinating how they – this is – I think Tyler Higby is a flashpoint for fantasy this year because some people might say, well, hey, he just had four straight 100-yard games. He was the number one tight end in December. Why wouldn't they go back to that? They found something that worked. And then other people say, well, wait a minute. He was the number two. Everett was hurt. This was, you know, a couple of the matchups were really easy. You know, that that was a fluke. I tend to look – Bill James has a term that the baseball statistician, he has a term called signature significance, which is you can throw out the size of a sample if it's something so overwhelming. Like if a baseball pitcher threw a no-hitter and struck out 17 guys, it's almost impossible for somebody who isn't of great skill to do that. That's unlikely to be a fluke. It just doesn't happen enough. And I I think what Higby did last year, the four straight 100-yard games, there's only a handful of tight ends, and they're all studs, you know, like Kelsey and, you know, the, the former version of Jimmy Graham. Guys like that are the people who have done that. doesn't mean Higby's going to be that good. But when I see his ADP, I know he's like tight end seven, tight end eight. I'm totally willing to get on board with that. And Goff's a guy I like because, again, I like Cup. I like Woods. I am a believer in Higby. I am a believer in McVeigh. And because he's a boring player now, you know, everybody's over Jared Goff. I, I always feel like you get an extra round or two of value. Now, now your quarterback's so deep that a lot you – know, we're all going to – it's possible to get a value quarterback at almost any juncture of the draft. You just have to like somebody a little bit more than, than everybody else. But I think there's like a boring discount with Goff, and yet I still think he has top 10 positional upside. 
the new Joe Flacco. <laughs> oh, that's, that sounds that sounds like a negative. That sounds like a pejorative. <laughs> yeah, I was one of the biggest Joe Flacco haters, but but when you said boring, that's who came to mind. So it's funny. This makes me think of a bias that I think I have, where I'm a Patriots fan, and, and look, all the Boston teams have have over championshiped. Um, the last two decades, and people are sick of it. No, nobody wants to see the Red Sox win anymore, the Patriots win anymore. You know, it hasn't been so much the Bruins and Celtics, although they've had success too. So people are happy that the Red Sox stink this year, and, and people are happy, I think, that the, we finally see a Patriots team that may not doesn't already have eleven wins on, on this, you know, on the schedule like they always do. Maybe, maybe Belichick will figure it out. Maybe Cam Newton will be okay. I think I tend to be more pessimistic than my other friends who are Patriot fans, and we have, you know. Again, they've won so much. I'm, I'm an NFL writer anyway. I'm not emotionally invested in the team anymore because I, I just wanted them to have one championship. I would have been happy. They had 20 years of success in the NFL. It's, it just doesn't happen. So I wonder sometimes if I'm a little bit harder on them than maybe some other teams. And this is – let me give you a better example of this. Sometimes when I'll put out my rankings or I'll put out my suggested player prices, people will mention a player and they'll say, hey, I, I thought you liked this guy. I'm surprised you didn't have him higher and I think sometimes if I do like a player, I'm so cognizant of not overranking them or not applying my belief in that player that maybe I just subconsciously look, rank them a, a step or two lower, just to, maybe just to cover myself, not to overrate my own teams, whatever it is. I, I wonder sometimes if I like somebody so much that I don't rank them as high as I want to because I, I don't want to feel like my emotion for that player is affecting my rational decision. Right. That's a tough one to, to separate. And there's, you know, that's why that's why we can take advantage of league mates like around here that are all big Bills fans. And you know that they're leaving somebody better on the table, probably. Although the, the Bills are coming around. They're also you know, getting to be a little bit more fun to root for. But yeah, I don't, and, and it, who can say if you're correcting properly or if you're overcorrecting? If your emotion would be to, to overrank and your correction is to properly rank, then you're Using your brain, right? That's. <laughs> I'm tr- I'm trying to be smart it's, about it's it. It's we'll, impossible we'll see if to I say. Am or not. Uh, because you're close to the Bills, let me ask you this: I think a really difficult player to, to gauge this year is Stephon Diggs, who had a really nice run in Minnesota. He goes to Buffalo. Um, you know, he grades very well in my colleague Matt Harmon. His uh, reception perception, he's considered one of the best route runners in the league. I mean, we all know Stephon Diggs is a good player. We know Josh Allen is a really good athlete. We know he runs in a lot of touchdowns. He's not always the most accurate quarterback. Sometimes he doesn't play well in structure. And sometimes a receiver going to a new team, there could be an adjustment period. We've had an unusual training camp with the challenges of 2020. So my mind was kind of like, well, I think I want to wait. I want to go wait it out with Diggs this year. I, I haven't drafted him proactively. I'm just nervous about the new team. I don't know if he and Allen will be a perfect fit. So he's kind of not even on my draft board this year. What do you see with Diggs and his new team? He's a player that I've loved from the beginning. Sean Siegel and I are in a dynasty league together, and we have fought over Diggs over the years, trading back and forth. We had a redraft. We had a re- reshuffle and redraft uh, last year. I did not get Diggs, so he's he's a guy that I like and will be rooting for in Buffalo. Allen's accuracy is a concern. But I think Diggs is a better receiver than John Brown, and John Brown thrived. Um, I also think Diggs is great in a in a contested catch situation. Um, so I, I'm probably more optimistic. I'm probably more optimistic than you are. And I don't think it's my regional bias, but it might be my player bias. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned Brown because 
I always thought of him – receiver is a boomer bust position anyway. And I always thought at a boomer bust position, Brown was especially boomer bust generally in his career. And then he went to Buffalo and kept cranking out 65 yards a game. He wasn't having the booms, but he wasn't having the busts. He was just like, okay, here I am, nice and steady. You're your base player. And I thought, what? who are you and what have you done with John Brown? I thought I had a, a – now, also, though, to call somebody boomer bust, sometimes I wonder, am I just looking at the – clouds and trying to discern a pattern. Maybe there just isn't a pattern in my mind. We want to think things have a order to them and maybe they just don't sometimes. That is so true. We all are looking for patterns. And um, isn't your favorite the seesaw pattern? Well, he was good, <laughs> right. then he was bad, then he was good. So he's definitely going to be bad this week. That's a that's a way that our brain tries to make sense of I thought that was betting the NBA was the seesaw. I thought you're supposed to bet it that way. You, you bet one <laughs> side and then the, you know, the, the officials want to, you know, they want the series to go seven, so you bet the other side, that right. type of thing. There are fewer patterns than we'd like to believe. I think that's definitely the takeaway there is that, again, we want attribution. We want this happened because of this. And, you know, correlation is not causation, right? That's one of the first things you learn in this racket is that just, just because, you know, just because I walked into your house and all of a sudden your phone doesn't work or your cable doesn't work, I didn't, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I, just, I just walked in, you know. So don't blame it on me. We're getting smarter today with Renee Miller. You can read her work at The Athletic, all sorts of good work over there. And um, you can follow her on Twitter as well. We've got a full rundown of what she's working on at the end of this discussion. Let's get just a few of your targets and strategies for this year. I I feel like the first thing in fantasy is what are you going to do at running back? Are you going heavy on running back? You like get me one and then I'll I'll go other positions. Are you going to go zero RB? Does it depend on the room? In a nutshell, what's your running back strategy this year? So the only league I've drafted so far is the Scott Fishbowl League. All the others I'm trying to push off till the last possible moment. And I'll, I'm going to be completely honest because um, I do some NBA DFS writing at, at Roto World also. I've been much more preoccupied with NBA this summer. Who would ever thought we'd say that in August? And, and I'm also scared of the NFL. I'm scared of uh, investing too much time and planning the perfect draft and making the right strategy only to have it all blow up and, and be for naught. So I've kind of been holding off on getting nitpicky about exactly who I want and where and when. Um, running back for me depends entirely on my draft position. You know, if, if, if I'm in the first half of picks, I'm taking one of the, one of the good running backs. My ideal is Probably, well, obviously, if it's number one, it's McCaffrey. But beyond that, um, Elliot's probably my personal number two. If I'm in the end of the first round, I'm probably probably going wide receiver, maybe maybe tight end, maybe even um, Jackson or Mahomes if I'm okay. pick 12. I think a lot of people are afraid to go that route because they think, oh, no, now, you know, now – it's their emotional reaction to their team is better if they like their running backs. And they, you know, the great, you mentioned Sean Siegel earlier, he was the godfather of zero RB. And, and the, the main takeaway, I think if I have this right with zero running back is the NFL is chaotic. Running back is chaotic. There's going to be a ton of injuries. Let's assemble a team that benefits from that. Now, now the way I, I generally like to draft, and again, you have to season this to taste. I like to have one running back I really feel good about. And then after that, if I'm ham and egging it, it, it I'm okay with that because you know the touches are more dispersed than ever. Your running back two isn't going to be probably as active as he was in previous seasons. So 
I like to have that one person I really feel good about if, if the draft allows me that person as much as we can know anything before the season starts. And then I start piling on the receivers. I might take a tight end. I'll probably wait a quarterback. You said you're open to a Mahomes or a Jackson. A thing, again, this might be maybe a bias I have, but the problem I have when I draft one of those guys is I'm just afraid I'm going to want to throw up when somebody gets Russell Wilson in the seventh round or or some other quarterback I like, you know, or or, or somebody, you know, maybe somebody drafts Jared Goff in the 12th round and he ends up being quarterback six or something like that. And I'll be like, well, geez, why did I have to pay for the top of the line when I could have made a nice profit somewhere else? Yeah. Oh, I get it. It's not, it's not at all a cool fantasy expert thing to do. But like I said, in, in the right draft position, I'm okay with it. I'm playing in multiple super flex leagues, so I, I guess maybe I'm leaning a little bit mm-hmm. um, from that viewpoint, which is a really fun format if people aren't familiar with it, where you can use a quarterback in one of your flex spots. It's essentially two quarterback yes, it is. league. I've always played in 12-team super flex leagues, and this year uh, my nephew started a league, my 13-year-old nephew started a league that's a super flex 10-team so I'm really excited that there's going to actually be <laughs> like enough players to go around because <laughs> some super yeah, I flex love, I love are... super flex. Um, it never made sense to me in the general way we play fantasy that why should the running back wire be kind of scarce and why should the receiver wire be scarce? And yet there's nine quarterbacks that I'd be perfectly fine to plug in on Jackson's bye week or my quarterback gets hurt. And I have all these abundance of options. I even have too many guys, guys I want to pick up. I don't have space for them. And the great thing about Superflex is it, as you say, it becomes a de facto two quarterback league. But if you find yourself in a pinch with heavy bye weeks, at least you can just play somebody who's a non-quarterback. It's not ideal the way we score things, but at least you're not totally screwed. You also mentioned the Scott Fishbowl earlier. And, and for people who may not be that familiar with it, what Scott does, other than just being a great guy and a wonderful humanitarian, he sets up this league with really unusual scoring rules and roster rules, which make... Every, the first round is no longer 10 running backs and Michael Thomas and maybe Devontae Adams or something. You know, it, it's quarterbacks can go in the first round. Tight ends can go in the first round because of the way the league is structured. And so there's no more of this, oh, I have the ninth pick. I'm not going to like who I want because maybe you're taking Lamar Jackson in a, in a Scott Fishbowl type of setup or a, a super flex league. He might even be gone by then. I, I took Russell Wilson. People chirped at me for it. I took Russell Wilson in the first round of the Scott Fishbowl. I mean, that would never happen in a standard league. So that's just, to me, the joy of Superflex, the joy of the fishbowl, the, the joy of playing in different formats. I mean, you could get Barkley with the ninth pick in Scott Fishbowl. You could. <laughs> Easily. I think I took Kelsey at, from the ninth spot in my league. Tight end premium, sure. Yeah, you want to have a lot of tight ends in the fishbowl or you know, in some of these hybrid formats. Talking with Renee Miller from The Athletic, making us smarter, helping us make better decisions. I'm expecting to be a 10% better fantasy analyst after this conversation. Renee, tell us what you're doing, um, you know, basketball, football, or the athletic and and everywhere else. Give us an update of what's going on. Yeah, so I'm doing a few more preseason pieces at the athletic. Um, I've written about the preparing for the online draft, what to do when you get sniped, um, especially in the online draft. I will have something about the ADP mismatch that we touched on a little bit. Um, coming out this week, as well as uh, some two-quarterback strategy and uh, tiers. Uh, for Roto World, I write strictly about daily fantasy, so I do a sort of general research piece and um, then touch on some of the more uh, specific ac- aspects, bargains, uh, stacks, things like that for NBA and NFL. 
over at Roto World. And during the season, my athletic articles tend to focus on the brainy stuff, the biases, who are you, um, you know, who's causing all the biases this week, that kind of stuff. And where can they follow you on Twitter? Renee Miller 01. There you go. Not not 02, not 03, not the fake Renee Miller, but Renee's Renee Miller 01 will get you where you need to go. Appreciate you checking out the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast today. If you like podcasts, we have five of these per week. You can listen to the podcast with your favorite Yahoo analyst. Uh, I'm the Sunday person for the time being. We also have a Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast, which I run on Mondays. We, we have a college sports forecast with uh, Forty and, and Thamo and, and um, Dan Wetzel, which, which is a great show. We have a, a full suite of different media things, whatever your sport is. We have you covered at Yahoo Sports. And of course, you can run your fantasy football league on Yahoo, and you should run your fantasy football league on Yahoo. Award-winning app. Pick up, drop, make good decisions, make bad decisions. It's all up to you. Um, you know, you can follow me, not follow me, but uh, we're going to try to help you. Hopefully we'll have a football season of depth this year. I, th- I definitely think they're going to start it. I can't guarantee you how deep they'll go, but let's try to be optimistic. Let's stay safe. Let's make good decisions. For Renee Miller, for my producer, Ragu, on the West Coast, keeping us on the air and sounding great. I'm Scott Pianowski. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we will talk to you again soon. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.